Well, welcome everyone to Trinity Part 2. I'm glad to have you here with me. My name is Jo. I'm one of the pastors here at Hunter Bible Church and I'm here with David Moore, another pastor on our church team. Welcome, hey Dave. How you doing? Good. How are you feeling about Part 2? Oh, uh, I'm excited. I think this is good. I think uh, after we looked at Part 1, Trinity mm -hmm. Part 1, and we got to do all the foundation stuff, I was actually excited to get back into all the implications and yes. all that type of stuff. Digging deeper. Yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. Did you watch yourself? Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. I did on, uh, I, there's only so much of watching myself yeah. I can handle. Not much. Yes, which, which thanks for reminding me because I don't like thinking about that while we're doing this. I'm like, no, it's, no, we're just having a conversation. There aren't actually people watching this. I'm here for your brother. All right. Um, before we get started, I would love to invite our audience to participate with us. We are making a change tonight we are doing a heap more questions compared to last time so please throw heaps of questions in we would love to answer and engage with your questions that will make the night even better and before we get started why don't we pray I think that would be the best way to start so please pray with me thank you God that you have gathered us together to grow to know you better please use Dave and I and our conversation for our own encouragement and the encouragement of everyone watching and who will watch not just for that sake, we want that to happen, but mainly because knowing you better is the best thing in this whole world. Mm. And we love you so much. So please grow us, help us to know you better and give us a great night together. Mm. Amen. Oh, man. All right. Prayer. Good prayer. Thanks, bro. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're getting started. Yes. Let's do a quick recap. Okay. Highlights from last... Trinity Part 1. Joe, last, Trinity Part 1 was a highlight. You uh, were a highlight last Stop night. it, I'll blush. No, <laughs> no, seriously, what was a highlight from Trinity Part 1 uh, you think, in terms of key content that we want people to remember yeah. and so, engage with? Yeah, so one of the key points that we want to help, uh, we want people to understand is that when we're talking about the Trinity, uh, and we, we often use that phrase three in one, one in three, mm. but we want to be really clear what the one is, what type of one we're talking about, what type of three we're talking about. So we're talking about one being. Yes. God is one being. There is not multiple gods. There is one God. And when we say three, we're talking about three persons. Yes. And we had that discussion about the, that, that word person is a bit weird. It's kind of like we've, we've, we've ripped a word out of something to use it for what we want it to mean. But yeah. it's uh, someone who you can address Mm. And identity, I think, was one of the words you used that mm. works kind of well. Mm. And so the idea of th uh, one God, one being, three persons. Yes. That is, that is God. Yes, I love it. I'm also thinking about a key thing you wanted us to think about at the beginning, which was that we don't come at this discussion of the Trinity cold and as if it's just a fact-finding or a knowledge yeah. thing or just getting things right. It's yes. instead worship, which is like the church fathers. Yeah. That's how they approached it. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, the, the Trinity is not something that you sit down and work out. You don't, mm. you don't work out who God is. That's like um, sitting down and working out who your, um, who your parents are when they live with you. You know, like we have a relationship with God. And so it's in the, in the midst of the relationship, in the fabric of our faith, we learn what our God, who our God is and what our God is. Mm. Uh, and so uh, it's not something that we, um, we investigate and detect and go, aha, I've understood it. Yes. It's something we step back from and we worship our God and we sing to him and we praise him and we call on him for help and we look for him for salvation. And in the midst of that, we realize that the God who we love and serve and pray and uh, pray to and praise is a God who is one being and three persons. And that's integral to all those things that we do. Yes, yeah, yeah I love it. So, uh, as we promised, getting into questions nice and early. Are there any questions? Hmm, none yet. Come yeah. on, guys, bring the questions. <laughs> so, Dave, yeah. you were asked an interesting question this yeah. week. So, Tell us about that question. Yeah, so we had someone who emailed in uh, because they weren't able to watch us live, which is great because they can watch it at some other point. Another time. Uh, it was, uh, when the Bible, the Bible seems to talk about the Word of God. And mm. so, basically, where does the Word of God, the Bible, if the Bible talks about the Word of God in a personal type of way, as if it's active, mm. is that... Is that another person, or is it which which person is the Word of God identified with? Mm. That, that's how it is. is the Word of God the Spirit or the Father or the Son? Yeah, yeah. that was a great question. Good question. Thank yeah. you for sending that through. Whoever sent that through, I'm thinking John one. Why John one? Well, I'm thinking the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. Yeah. So I'm thinking the Word, the Son. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, so. In John 1, what John's doing is he's picking up the language of Genesis chapter 1, uh, where, 
but God creates the world. And the big thing in Genesis chapter one is that God creates the world by speaking. Mm. He's a speaking God. So the God we're introduced to at the beginning of the Bible is not a God who, he doesn't will things into creation, into existence. He speaks them into creation, mm. into existence. Uh, and so that's really important when you get to the New Testament. And what John's saying is, in the beginning was the Word. So before God created, uh, John introduces us to God's Word, mm. which is um, an odd thing to say. And so what he says, if you want to look it up, that'd be great. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word seems personified here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. So this is how God made all things through his word. And then jump down to verse 14. Uh, so yeah. John 1, verse 14. The word, so the thing through which or the one through which God or the, the Father created all things became flesh. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so what we're introduced to is the Son and the Word of God, the Son of God and the Word of God, uh, uh, in the Bible are very much, um, you, I'd even say they're, um, oh, what's the word? Um, Enmeshed? Yes, yeah, that's a great word, yeah. That when we see the Word of God, what we're seeing is the Son of God. Um, and so when you look at Jesus, when you look at his character and life and his death and resurrection, what you're meeting mm. is God's word, God's spoken desire to reveal himself, because that's what the word does. A word as God, sorry, I'm jumping in a few places yes, here. Yes, <laughs> Let me just pause you here. Yeah. So when I said before, I said, John, uh, John 1, I'm yeah. thinking about the word, and I said, Jesus, yeah. you would say, actually, it was the son. God the son, yes. who before he became incarnate, yes. he was the Word of God. Yes, that's yes. right. So, okay, yeah, get so, that right. Okay. Yeah, so the, the, so the Bible's right. using the word, the Word, mm. to talk about the Son mm. through whom God made all things. Mm -hmm. So we see that in places like Ephesians, uh, no, sorry, Colossians 1, 15, uh, where Paul is talking about the same event, uh, you could say, of creation. Um, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, sorry, God's electric company God <laughs> Ephesians Colossians goodness me Colossians 1:15 where it says the son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for in him verse 16 all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers rules or authorities so he's taking that same language that John uses about all things being created nothing that nothing that has been created which isn't created through him. So he's the one through yes. whom all things are created. And then it says at the end of verse, uh, end of verse 17, 16, 16. Oh, 16, sorry. Um, all things have been created through him and for him. Mm. So the idea there is that the father has spoken creation into existence. And as God has, as the father has, has spoken creation, what speaking does is reveal who you are. And that revelation of God that speaks creation into existence, that word is the Son. Mm. And that Son became flesh, took on flesh. And so when we're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the, the one through whom all things are created and the one who reveals the Father perfectly. Yes. And so as we can return to the person's question, yeah. the question originally asked, which is, is the word one particular person of the Trinity, or is it the word, the being? Yeah. How would you answer that in like a really yeah. short, sharp sentence? Yeah, I'd say, it's, I'd say the, that I'd want to associate when we read the word of God, uh, when we talk about, the, when the Bible's talking about the word of God, it's, uh, it's either going to be talking about this, the person of the Son mm -hmm. or the Bible. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yes. that's a whole other discussion about what's the relationship between the person and the Son <laughs> and the Bible. Which we do not have time for oh, tonight. But that's sadly. a good topic. Yeah, yeah. It is a good topic. You can ask that as a question and yeah. force us to answer that later. Or discuss uh, among yourselves. What's the relationship <laughs> between the Son and the Bible, the Scripture? Yes, yeah. good question. Okay, we last week, yeah. we looked at the church fathers, yeah. the early church fathers, you know, sort of from when Jesus rose again mm. and ascended to sort of 400 mm. BC. Um, 
AD, AD yeah. apologies, <laughs> AD, um, and we looked at modalism and Arianism and we were talking about those as being errors that really clarified truth and yes. we rest on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters in Christ who sharpened our understanding of the Trinity. Yeah, so as the early church was wrestling with the God they worshipped, they realised that some people were trying to express that in a way that was wrong Yeah. and that expression, that attempt to express God uh, that they worked out was wrong, that helped them clarify what is good and right to say. Yes. Yeah, and that's what we've got. And yeah. so that wrestle was really helpful. Yeah. What about now? Yes. We live in a time when there's lots of discussions about the Trinity. Mm. How is that sharpening our understanding of the Trinity now? What errors are we seeing now that about the Trinity? Yeah, well, that's right. You could think that all the all the Trinitarian heresies have all happened. <laughs> We're done with this. We're done. We, we don't We're do on that with the truth now. That's right. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I think what we see now, well, firstly, it's important to say that some of those, uh, some of those heresies remain. Yes. So uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and the and Mormons, yeah, Mormons, they are Arian yes. in their in their doctrine, doctrine of the Trinity. I'll get the words out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so they still have that view that the Son mm. that that the Son was a created being mm. uh, rather than with God in in a eternity. Uh, so that heresy remains still. Um, but I still, but yeah, I think there are ways that we can have, uh, we can hold on to ideas of the Trinity that are not right, or we can have tendencies. Yes. Yeah. So for example, we were talking earlier about this idea of emphasising Jesus as the, the a, a favourite person of the Trinity, perhaps, over yeah. and above the Father of the Spirit. You've yeah. seen that? I've seen that. Yeah, so I think one of the things, so one possible way that we can get our Trinity thinking wrong mm. is that we can, oh, it's really hard to say, overemphasise Christ. And that's a, <laughs> Didn't he just say that? <laughs> it sounds so wrong. Um, so let me explain. I think in the last uh, 70, 80 years, the, the, the church has done a really good job of, of seeing the, the importance and the centrality of who Jesus is for everything. Mm. And so that's called the doctrine of Christology. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, that's the understanding of how Christ relates to everything else. Christ relates to salvation and, and creation and end times and everything. So that's, that's Christology. Uh, but what, what we can do, um, what we might do, is we can so emphasise Christ in all these things that we, have, we leave no place for the... The uh, Father. Yeah, the Father, the Spirit, uh, that we lose the, um, the idea that all three persons always work at once. Together. Yeah. And so it's, it's, that, it's that point where we only ever talking about, talk about... Um, loving Jesus yeah. and trusting in Jesus, and we wouldn't speak about the Father and the Spirit yeah. in our in our language. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, songs. Um, if all of our songs only ever, ever worshipped the Son, there'd be a big problem. Yeah, you go. Yeah. Why, why are we only worshipping the Son? Do we, is there an overemphasis on the Son? In the yeah. same way that if all the songs worshipped the Father, and at the expense of the Son, you'd be going, well, there's something there's wrong. Something there. wrong here. And if we didn't have any songs that uh, drew our attention to the work of the spirit and praise God for that yeah. um, and the spirit's work in us and that type of thing then that would be an issue as well so there's I can that, hear what you're saying. that's an element of it but I think we can also see it um, I don't know I, I've, I've seen some people who I've spoken to some people and they just they've honestly gone oh look I think I've got a really close relationship with the son with and, Jesus yeah and they might feel distant say and describe yeah. a distance from the father and the yeah. spirit yeah. yeah and I think uh, the danger is that what that betrays is a doctrine of, of God that ends up being tritheistic. Yes. So tritheism is the idea that there are three gods. Mm. There is the Father God and there's the Son God and there's the Holy Spirit God. And it's a bit like, it's a little bit like modalism. Yes, it definitely separates. Yeah, it emphasises the separation, the distinction between mm -hmm. the persons at the expense of the oneness. Mm -hmm. And so what that can look like is people thinking, oh, well, the father's the angry one um, and the son, um, he gave his life for me and the spirit's the fun one, you know, or something like that. It gives me joy, <laughs> it gives me peace. Yeah, yep. and so I think, uh, so one of the ways I've particularly seen this is where people, uh, when they're wrestling with sin and they'll talk about their um, uh, how they repent and how they feel towards God in the midst of their guilt. Mm. And uh, they, they kind of talk in a way that, um, I suppose, that betrays a view that the son has 
snuck them in to the father's presence without the father knowing. It's kind of yeah, like the okay. father goes, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, you're here with him. All, all right then. You know, it's, they, they still feel aloof from the father. Yes. Or that the father's wrath and judgment hasn't yeah. fully been dealt with. And yes. so there's still distance between yeah. them and the father. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. Whereas what that betrays is that uh, no, the act of saving us is an act by the one the being. The one being and yeah. the three persons. Yeah, and so yeah. God has saved us. The Father has sent the Son out of love. So for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And so you would say in that way, yeah. as someone is describing their relationship yeah. with God, we would want them to have a understanding that the triune God has been at work in their salvation yeah. and there is no distinction mm. if in their relationship with the three persons. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a helpful place to see that. So come to uh, Colossians, I think it's, no, Galatians, I'm all over the place, sorry. Uh, Galatians chapter four, and we see the, um, the, the role the spirit plays in, um, in us crying out. So Galatians chapter four, verses six and seven, mm. or we just go th verse six. Um, because? Uh, yeah, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So this is one of those great verses yeah. that brings the three persons or the one God together. So what's happening here? The father has um, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we, the spirit is the one who within us yearns. It makes us cry out. Yeah. yeah, yearns for this right relationship with the son, with the with the father, and we get that because of the son. Yeah, that the son, we've got the son's spirit in us, looking at his father, and going, Dad. Yeah, that's yeah. a beautiful verse. Yeah, I love it's it. Great. Thanks for drawing us to that, Dave. We need to honour our commitment oh, to yes. answer questions. So, <laughs> Samuel Talbot, welcome again, brother. Genesis 18 talks about the angel of the Lord. This being sounds unique to the other angels that we hear about in the Old Testament. Is the angel of the Lord God in angelic form? And what's the go? Uh, Simple question for you, David. Yes, <laughs> I remember looking this up years ago and thinking through it and I cannot remember my answer. Uh, these are called theophanies. Uh, so um, uh, um, displays or uh, representations of God in the Old Testament where, mm. uh, where God's there. Yes. Uh, and so examples are... Takes God, on a form. Yeah, yeah. Walking with Adam in the garden, that type of thing. Things like the angel of the Lord. Uh, I... Oh, okay. Would you like to leave it? Or oh, you no, gonna... uh, look, oh, oh. you're going to have a crack at I'm it. Gonna, well, I'm going to say what I think it is, but I'm okay. going, oh, look, I'm penciling this in. I think the, 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 maybe the, I think the best way to understand them is as pre-expressions of the incarnate Christ. I okay. think that's a good way to think about them um, without pinning my colours to the wall. Okay. I think uh, a related question this is worth addressing is, who is the Lord in the Old Testament? So you know how you read the Old Testament and you've got the uppercase Lord? Yeah. Uh, that's what's called Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Is Yahweh the Father? Yeah. Or is Yahweh the Son? Because in the New Testament, when the New Testament translates verses from the Old Testament about Yahweh, mm. it does it for Jesus. It, it, it refers to Jesus as the Lord yes. that's being referred to in the Old Testament. Yes. Um, I think the, uh, Almost always the most helpful thing to do when you see the word Lord in the Old Testament is to, that's talking about the triune God. It's talking about the yeah. Godhead. So to add in a little bit of in interesting information, Genesis 18, yes. Abraham met with God. Yes. Similar thing or different? Uh, yeah, I think it's a theophany. Okay. Um, and I think what we see, because you see three come and two go to Hodom and Gomorrah and one stays and he has a relationship. He has the discussion with the Lord. Mm. Uh, and so it seems that the angel of the Lord there is a, is a manifestation of God that is, uh, I'll stop there. That is a manifestation of God. Okay. <laughs> right. And I don't think the Old Testament gives us more than that. Um, but I think what we're meant to see is it's a, it's, it's a very dim manifestation of God. The true manifestation of God we have is in Jesus yes. when he is incarnate yeah. and he lives 
and dies yeah. and throws. Which, which makes me think of Hebrews 1, that yeah. kind of the fulfillment mm. of everything. Like Jesus is the ultimate. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Josh McFarlane, thank you for your question. Uh, should we address all the person of the, the Trinity when we pray? Often we address the Father. So should we address Jesus and the Holy Spirit? I have thought this question through. Yes. What do you think? Oh, what do you think? You've thought it through. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm regretting saying that now. <laughs> retract, retract. I, I, I think I like to follow Jesus' model in in Matthew, was it five or six? Uh, um, oh, I think it's six. I could yeah. be wrong. When he teaches the Lord's Prayer. I think that would be something that I would um, always want to encourage. Yeah. And it's it's the Son saying, pray to the Father in heaven. This is how you are to pray. And yeah. so I think that's where my gut instinct goes. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. So that the Son, so the eternal Son of God. So I think one of the ways to do this is put it in context. Yeah. The eternal Son of God, who is with God for eternity past, with the Father and the Spirit, um, he is sent by the Father through the Spirit, and by uh, his death and through the Spirit working in us, he gives us access to talk to his dad. Yeah. That's what Jesus gives us the ability to do. Yeah. Um, so why wouldn't you do that? So the illustration I kind of use is uh, if, uh, if I went over to, uh, if I got introduced to the, uh, the Prime Minister of Australia, and I and someone brought me in, and I spent the whole time talking to the person who brought me in. When the meeting I was actually there for was to meet with the prime minister, that would be weird. If I went there and I didn't speak to the person who brought me at all, that would be weird too. If I just yes ignored them. So you're essentially arguing a kind of submission relationship between the father and the son, are you? Uh, because you're you're describing essentially a relationship between a PM and some kind of mediator to bring you to the PM. Yeah. But is that what you're trying to communicate or not? Well, yeah. So what we what we see in eternity past and in eternity future is that the the Father is the one who sends. Mm. And in in 1 Corinthians 15, the the end times that we're we're presented, this is what happens in eternity, mm. is that the Son gives all things to the Father. Yeah. And so there's a right as a restoration of order as the Father puts everything under the Son, mm. the Son gives everything back to the Father. And so there's this order there. Mm. And so there's a right thing that the Son brings us to the Father. Mm. Now we have to say that in such a way what we've got to hold on to the Son and the Father and the Spirit are one being. Yes. There is not a, a difference in importance or value or um, one is not bigger than the other. So I think one of the one of the mistakes that people can make when it comes to the Trinity is they can think of the Trinity like Neapolitan ice, ice cream, cream. Right. which and is delicious. <laughs> no, no the, <laughs> the pink bit is not delicious. It's just... Oh, Dave. Uh, but what they think is, uh, they think uh, that, uh, well... There's one bit which is really good mm. and I have to get through the other bits in order to get to that bit. And so um, uh, the problem with that whole illustration is it's divisible. Mm. The persons of the triune God are indivisible from yes. each other. You can't, you can't separate them out. So this is the illustration people use is the three-leaf clover. Uh -huh. And I've so, so yeah, it's one clover, but it's got three leaves. Well, that's divisible. You can see parts of it. This part is the Father, this part is the Son, this part is that. You actually can't do that with the triune God. Mm. Uh, and so the big technical word for this is uh, is, <laughs> is mutual indwelling or perichoresis is yes. the Greek word that the that the heavenly fathers, oh my goodness, that the, the early church fathers, fathers used, perichoresis. But it's this mutual indwelling that they 100% indwell each, each other. other. So the Father is 100% God, the Son is 100% God, the Spirit is 100% God. How did we get to this? What did we, what did we start at? We started, <laughs> we started with the question about prayer. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so that means uh, we can't, uh, it's not the, uh, that we're getting through the Son to a different part of God. Yes. It's not like there's we're a... We're not levelling up. Yeah, that's right. There is one God and the three persons allow us, the, the Spirit and the Son give us access to the person of the Father yeah. who is the father of the son. Yes. Um, but we need to say that without saying that the father is more God than yes. the son. He's not okay. He's not 39% God and the son is 30% God. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to push you even further. Oh, great. There is a song we've sung in the past which sings, 
first about the Father and what He does. Yeah. Second about the Son and what He does. And Ooh. third about the Holy Spirit and what He does. Can't remember the song, yeah. but I remember having a discussion with Pete Monday about it. Cool. Um, and it sings to each person yeah. of the Godhead. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I think it's great. Yes. Yeah. And so circling back to the prayer thing, uh, it's right to address the different the, persons. Yeah, the Son. To, it's right to address Jesus. It's right to address the Spirit. Yes. Completely right uh, to do that. To only address those. So I've, I've had conversations with people where they have said, uh, most of my prayers are addressed to the Son. Okay. And that makes me nervous. That's where you'd say yeah. you've misunderstood there. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, in a gentle way, you would encourage someone to reconsider their understanding of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. And say <laughs> the, the Son wants you to talk to his dad. That's, yes. what, so that, that, That's what the Matthew verse, uses. Okay. Yeah, the verse in, in Galatians of crying out, Abba, Father. You get to cry out, Abba, Father. Yeah. And so that's what the Son allows you to do. Um, and at, at the same time, there are other people who said, oh, I, I, I would never speak to the Son. I wouldn't, wouldn't pray to the Son. I go, well, why not? The, the Son is the one who loves you. He's your brother. He's your Lord. Mm. Uh, and so it's completely right to appeal to your Lord. Mm. And it's right to appeal to the Spirit. So one of the particular things, I find myself praying to the Spirit, particularly when I'm praying for people to be saved, or I'm ah. praying for people to be moved, or I'm praying for people to repent. I'll, I'll, so I'll find myself praying. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, Spirit, mm. please move in them. That is, yeah, that's beautiful, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's I, go with that. I find that encouraging. <laughs> All right. Uh, I would love to see more questions coming through on the feed. Mm. Any question we would love to see coming through about the Trinity, bring it on. Dave is going to answer them. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Setting you up. All right. Um, so going back to where we were before, we were talking about what mistakes do modern Christians make. And yeah. we talked about Arianism and that being currently, a, that's what the um, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons mm. uh, believe. And so it is a real issue, mm, modern right. day heresy. What about... Something like, something I've heard is, well, the father of the Old Testament, he's wrathful. But then I really like the son who's in the New Testament. That's, he's the one who loves and the spirit, he's the one who empowers. Yes. And, and drawing distinctions and differences between the three persons of the Trinity. Yeah. So again, that's so similar to the tritheism uh, idea, isn't it? That yeah. it's, it's, what that does is attribute certain characteristics yes. to the three. Is it a kind of modalism? Yeah, it it is. It, it can be one of it can be one of two things. It can be that tritheism that there are three gods and they're yep. kind of vying yes. for power, uh, or they can be uh, a modalism where there is one god who is expressing himself in three ways, which really uh, means there's a fourth, fourth god, god behind, behind controlling. the three gods. Yeah, yes. that's right. And so, uh, but I think the tendency when we do see that that it, it is that tritheism, uh, and I, so the mistake that's made there is that. Um, the idea that the person, uh, and we talk about it's, it's attaching the idea of personality to the word person. So yeah, okay. uh, what that means is uh, when we use the word person, it's very, it's very similar to our word for personality. And so we'll, we'll describe characteristics like vengeful or wrathful or loving and kind and merciful and gentle and that type of thing. Uh, and so uh, I think what, what we can do is go, we can say, oh, there's one God, but there's three persons. And so the persons aren't the same character. Ah. What we want to say is no, they share a character, that the, the character of God is the same. In fact, what the Trinity allows us to do is to know the character of God. Because all of God's works are triune, so everything that God does is from creation through to salvation and restoration, um, they are all triune. And so all of God's actions reveal His character because they're all done by the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Okay, so to summarise what you're saying, you're essentially saying that if you describe one person of the Godhead in one way yeah. and another person of the Godhead in another way and you do not attribute the same characteristics to both or three, mm. you've completely misunderstood the nature of the shared character of God. Yeah, that's right. That okay. There is one being and so they share this characteristic. Well, we, we, get, we know God. Yeah. We know... Um, uh, I want to say we know the being God, but that's uh, that makes out the fourth God. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we know what God is like. Um, yes. We know what God is like because the Father reveals himself through the Son and in the Spirit. So so example of this is we see the Son saying in John 5, um, I speak, I only speak the words my Father gives me to say. 
Mm. And then in John 15, he says, um, surely you know me. Um, oh, sorry, why do you say, show me the Father? Surely, if mm. you know me, you, you know, know the, the Father. Father. Yeah. yeah, and so what Jesus is, is doing is saying, um, you can know what the Father is like by looking at me. Mm. And the Spirit's the one who reveals me to you. Yep. The Spirit's the one who works in you so that you know me. Okay, that's helpful, Dave. So getting onto our questions, thank you so much for sending them through. Lemu, I'm loving your question. Is the Holy Spirit a mere force Ooh. or a person with a mind and a will? This is something we, we talked about, actually. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it, so, it's, uh, we, so we want to jump straight to the answer. It's a, it's a person. Um, we, we can see stuff like that where... You even uh, just said it just then. It's a person. It's a person. Oh, he is a person. He is a person, yes. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's all right. We got it. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, so let's come to John 14, verse 26. Ah, the disciples chatting in the upper room with Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so uh, at the end of John, John uh, kind of 13 to 18, Jesus does a lot of talking about the Spirit and, uh, and his relationship with the Father. I'm in Luke. I should go to John. John 14. You got there very quickly, Joe. I shouldn't be talking while Speedy. I'm flipping pages. Oh my, here we go. Yes, there we go. Uh, John 14, 26. Uh, can you read that for us? Where to? Uh, just that verse. Just that verse. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Yeah, so here we have uh, Jesus talking about the, the Holy Spirit and he does these things. Uh, he speaks and he reminds and... That type of thing. Uh, John 16, 13, just over the page, says, uh, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will mm. not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet, yet to, come. to come. So when I pulled you up earlier mm. on calling the spirit it, yes. that was us having <laughs> an ongoing conversation where we, meet, we need to make sure as we speak of the spirit, as we think of the spirit, mm. we're thinking of one of the persons of the Trinity yeah. who has pronouns given yes. to us by God. But we want to, I want to, I want to uh, uh, give reason why we can think, why we be tempted to think yes. the Spirit is a force, because Good. that's what the Spirit does. The action of the Spirit is one that moves us. Yes, that indwelling activity yeah. is not inactive, it's an active That's force. right, yeah. yeah, and so uh, that's why we can, uh, some Christians and some theologians even, end up um, the only room that's left for the person of the Spirit is of the force or um, the bond of love between the Father and the Son. At which point you're going, I feel like you're losing the personhood at, at I've that lost point. you. You've lost me. Say that again. They, uh, some theologians will talk about the Spirit being not much more than the bond of ah. love between the Son and the Father. Which really minimises who yeah, the Spirit is. Yeah, and they'll say, no, I'm not minimising, I'm just describing its role. Uh, and you go, well, the role in the person. Anyway, uh, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit uh, loves the Son and the Father and brings us into that love of, mm. this, of the Son and, and the Father. But it's important to see that the Spirit's, uh, those, that movement of the Spirit is the, um, I don't know how to say this in a helpful way. It's what the Spirit brings to us. The Spirit is at work. He is at work loving the Father through the Son. Um, yeah. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Heidi, for your question. Mm. Um, we receive the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus. However, in Acts 8, which we were reading last week, Simon and others believed and were baptised and yet still hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Why was there an extra step there? So Philip is up with the Samaritans. Simon's up with the Samaritans, I think, yes. isn't he? Yes, uh, it is Simon, no, Philip. Philip's there yes. and he's with Simon the sorcerer. That's right, so Philip there. Uh, and Philip's not one of the 12. And it seems that the Samaritans are an important group of people to hear the gospel uh, and it seems that uh, in this point in salvation history the role of Peter coming in as one of the 12 
to endorse what's happening as one of the 12 seems to be one of the things. Philip's not one of the 12. I thought he was in Acts 1. I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Acts 1 verse 13, Philip and Thomas. So when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room there. The present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. Then, well, you know what we need? We need a special thing on Acts. Oh my goodness, we've got one coming up in a few weeks. <laughs> Do we want to table that question? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's an excellent, excellent question. It's probably, uh, I think what I'm saying is, it's more of an exegetical question of Acts than a, than a Trinitarian one. Okay. And that's my card that I'm playing that's to avoid That's a good card. It. <laughs> that is a great card. So essentially what we're curious about in this question is, is there something different here happening with, mm. the, with the giving of the Holy Spirit to people who were described as people who believed? Or is there not something going, different going on? Is this a specific situation in Acts? Um, My gut is to say it's a specific, a specific situation. situation in Acts because every other point in Acts, as people believe, they receive the, the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. And okay. so uh, I think there's something particular in the outline of Acts. So Acts is this um, revealing of, no, it's not revealing, this movement of the gospel and the Spirit from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and the, the spread. Yeah. yeah, and so there's something happening here that is important for that. I th um, an important part about the Spirit's work is because uh, we want is the Spirit to live in someone, mm. and so I think one of the helpful ways to talk about the Spirit is we want the Spirit uh, we want the Spirit to work in people who are not Christian. Yes, um, but we want it to dwell in them. That's the end goal. Yes, and so what does it mean for the Spirit to work in someone? without dwelling in them. There's a mysterious Ooh, thing there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. And and particularly the dwelling is coming to make a home mm. and that home is realised later in heaven where we will dwell with the triune God. Yeah, because the spirit is a, mm. is a, a, a deposit. deposit. Guaranteeing yeah. our inheritance. Yeah, yes. so when the spirit dwells in you, that's a deposit. That, uh, yes. So that's one of the cool things about the spirit is that it's the only thing about me and resurrected me that I already have. So everything about me will be perfected except the spirit in me because I already have that as a deposit. Yeah. That's already there. Everything else improves. But the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is already there. Yeah, so the spirit dwells within us in heaven yes. because it's a deposit we have now. Guaranteeing our inheritance. All right, um, Peter Woon, thank you for your question. So in the New Testament, Paul's letters to different churches, he usually mentions in his greeting, grace and peace from the Father mm. and Jesus. Where does the Spirit fit in there? We're getting a lot of questions about the Spirit. Oh. Where does the, the Spirit fit with the early greetings yeah. in the letters? Yes, uh, it's a great question. Yeah, why doesn't Paul mention the Spirit more in his introductions? Um, yeah. I don't know. I would love to know why Paul doesn't mention them. He does mention them quite early in most of his letters. I think it's one of the things with Paul is that the way Paul uses the spirit, it's very rarely the subject of the sentence. Mm. So uh, the way sentences are constructed, um, uh, I threw the ball to Joe, I'm the subject of the sentence. Very rarely does Paul make the spirit the subject. He almost all, always makes it us a kind of subordinate clause. Yeah. He says, by the Spirit, th through the Spirit. And when you start looking out for it, it's everywhere. Yes. You just, it, it's, it's peppered. It's just all the way through. And it's so easy to miss because it's just a, a short subordinate clause in mm. the sentence. But when you start reading through it and highlighting, oh, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, in, uh, through in the Spirit, you, you go, oh, okay. Paul is not neglecting the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, but what he's doing is he's highlighting the role yeah. that the Father and the Son play for this church. And yeah. as he speaks to them, he's showing them that this spirit. And interestingly, I was just thinking about Romans. So Romans is probably arguably his most fulsome oh, entry yeah. point, mm. like in terms of a title starting point yeah. in his letter. He does mention the spirit in chapter 1, verse 4 of Romans. Mm. Uh, so he, it's quite a triune statement, really. Yeah. I'll just read from the first few verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, 
who as, as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think he includes all three. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. All right. I think we need to get back to our earlier discussion. Yeah. So we've got, we were talking about this misunderstanding we can have of the Trinity where we, we attribute different character traits to different persons of the of the being of God mm. and with, instead we need to say no God's characteristics are the same across the three persons mm. the Father, the Son and the Spirit I'm interested in now just digging deeper into um, the Son and thinking about this phrase that you can sometimes hear which is um, before Jesus came to earth for yeah. instance or some indication that they think Jesus existed before creation. Yeah, so we kind of touched on, on this last time where uh, because the, the, the son who we meet and know is the incarnate Christ. Okay? Um, but we need, to in, we need to hold on to the importance of the incarnation. Mm. That the incarnation is the point when the second member of the Trinity, member is the wrong word, second person, person. of the Trinity. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. So that verse we looked at in, in John, John. Four, John 1, 14. Um, so before the incarnation, the Son was without flesh. After the incarnation, the Son has flesh. Yes. And so what that means is that God has, it, it's not simply, it's not, it's not a one-way thing, it's actually a two-way thing, that God has... Um, uh, the Son has come down to us and He's taken on our flesh. But because the Son is, um, uh, uh, is the person, is the second person of the triune, the triune God, God yep. that means that God has taken humanity into Him. God has tied, had bound Himself to humanity. So, uh, so what's happening in the incarnation is that the, uh, the, the triune God, through the person of the Son and by the work of the Spirit, is, uh, is binding, bounding, yeah, binding himself. Binding, that's better, yeah, binding himself to saving us, yes. binding himself to having a relationship with us. Yes, and this is the, the union with Christ we see richly in Ephesians 1. Is this what you're talking about? Yes, what do you think? Ephesians chapter 1, just it talks so much about how in Christ we have all these blessings. And I'm trying to think, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm now regretting saying something. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what we see... Save me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so uh, I think one of the things we see, particularly in Ephesians 1, is the work of the eternal God yeah. before creation to step into his creation yeah. and save. And so we see that, um, I, I suppose, actually, this is one of the helpful things to think through, is that uh, before creation, God was not wanting. He was not um, yearning. For, he was complete. He was full. So that's one of, the, one of the beautiful pictures in Colossians that keeps coming up is the fullness, the fullness of God. Of Christ, yeah. um, and so uh, in, in eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were... They shared love and mm. unity together. They did not need to create a world. There was no lack. Yeah, that's right. Um, but what they chose to do, they chose before the creation of the world to create a world in which the sun would be bound to, uh, would be bound in flesh, that they would bind themselves to it and they would save for themselves a people who they would share that unity with. Yeah. So there's this immense eternal picture that's happening, which is what Ephesians is picking up that the God of eternity past has graciously acted without a need to create and save for himself a people. Not for their sake. So it's not that God imagined people in, in, in the future and went, I, I will save those people. What God has done is gone, um, we share glory. Yes. And we will, ex we will, we will um, make ourselves glorious yes yeah and so 
creation and the Son becoming flesh through the Spirit and the work of the Spirit bringing people through the Son to the Father is the work of God self-glorifying Himself. Creation exists for the triune God to glorify Himself through the Spirit in the Son for the Father. That's interesting. Okay, <laughs> to take a total change of direction, yes. uh, we've got a question from Thomas. I'm wondering which Thomas. Mm. There are lots of Thomases out there. Uh, Thomas has asked, what are your thoughts on Bethel? They like the supernatural and feelings. <laughs> that like, is they like a the supernatural. from the left yeah. side. I, I unfortunately, I don't know enough about Bethel to... Uh, to yes. speak authoritatively. I think... Uh, but I think some diagnostics as we approach it. So Thomas is asking a question about yeah. how do we understand a, a whole ministry mm. if you're saying you haven't investigated it much. Yeah. How would you want to investigate? Yeah, so I think one of the things we'll want to... We want to be aware of is a uh, so you can have a movement within Christianity that does that thing we're talking about before that so emphasizes one person of the Trinity and their work mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things you can do with the with the person of the Holy Spirit you can say that um, every every event of church every gathering is one that we are longing for the Spirit to arrive and work in us and change us and move us and everything we do is about the Holy Spirit. Um, to the expense of the, the sun, and and, yeah, that's mm. right. And so, um, uh, and so, we want to come back to the idea that uh, the three persons and one being, and so all the actions of the one being are united in the three persons. When mm. the spirit acts, when the spirit moves, it's the spirit points us towards the sun who re who reveals us, who reveals the Father to us and brings us. Yeah, which is going back to that Ephesians passage we looked at in yeah. Trinity Part 1. Yeah, yeah okay. that's right. Yeah. So I think I'd, I'd want to go, um, what role are they, uh, what, are the, uh, what are the expressions of the persons that I'm invited to focus on? Yeah, yeah. So, so digging deeper into that question, I think it opens up another question, which is how does the spirit affect our feelings and emotions? Because there mm. is, it is right to have um, emotional responses, yeah. say, at church, even if it's not, we're not gearing up in the expression of one particular person of the Godhead. Mm. But, yeah, how does the Spirit... Uh, this is where I wish I had feeling? more verses. I'm looking for the stuff that I prepared before on the Holy Spirit on this, uh, on this idea. Hang on a second. The, uh, that one and this one and this one. No. Oh, no. <laughs> the, uh, what we see, what the Spirit does is call out... Well, we see the Spirit do a few things. The Spirit convicts of sin in John 16. Uh, the, so when we are convicted of sin, when we feel guilty for the things we've done, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's one of the mm. things, one of the reasons I've said before, you pray uh, that the Spirit would work in people and convict them of sin. Mm. Uh, and we pray for that ourselves. Mm. Uh, and so that is, uh, seems to be a work of the Spirit that points us to the words of the Son that reveals the, the, the Father. The father. Mm. Um, when we have joy, so Paul talks about uh, and sing with all joy in the Spirit. So Colossians 4 and Ephesians 5 uh, talks about uh, those, uh, that the Spirit's involved as we sing and praise. Again, I think it's that, that same idea of um, the Spirit isn't simply a heart emotional thing. In, in, in the yes. New Testament, the heart is, is much, more, much more than just your emotions. It's your core. It's, it's your identity, I suppose, is the, the closest thing that we're used to it now. And so as we recognise that I have this wonderful relationship with God through the Son, that Jesus brings me, Jesus forgives me, and I get access to the Father, I have to call on Him, and I get to appeal to Him as my dad and open up my heart to Him, that the Spirit allows us, that it's the Spirit that is working in us that moves us to do that. The trouble is, it's not like there's a light that's going off. This is the work of the Spirit. So what we have to do is actually look at the non-Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. Why don't they want to? Why don't they want to bring their sin to Jesus? Why don't they? Why don't they want to fall on their knees before God? It's because the Spirit isn't working in them. In mm -hmm. fact, you go back to the Old Testament, and um, you know you read the Old Testament, and you're like. Israel. Why did they get it? So, why do they keep making the same mistake? It's so obvious. Don't build a calf. You're on the mountain. You're like, it's because <laughs> they don't have the spirit. Mm. Um, when we see brothers and sisters 
being righteous, repenting of sin, um, uh, being, uh, being gripped with um, remorse for their sin and wanting to change, we're not seeing humans trying to serve God. Mm. We're seeing the work of the Spirit in people that's moving them mm. to, to be doing that. Um, and this is a really important part that goes back to predest- predestination. Yeah. So it is God who works in us by His Spirit to move us to want Him. Yes. No one can ever want... Choose God for themselves. Yeah. Mm. Um, you can't... Yeah, it, it, even before choosing, you can't want God. Mm. You can't desire God without the Spirit working in, working in you. And so that means when we see people doing that, we give thanks to the Spirit for that work. Okay. It makes me think of a question similar to um, the question Scotty Curtis has asked. Thanks, Scott. Um, is Jesus in us or is the Holy Spirit oh. in us? How does that work? Which the, is Yes, there's a union. Um, uh, look, I'll just double down. Let me show you a really confusing verse. Okay. <laughs> uh, what an offer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it is 2 Corinthians and I'm... Oh, where is it? It's where the Lord, who is the Spirit, and he says it twice. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from At verse 17 and 18. Yeah. Uh, Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Yeah, so there you go. Twice in two verses, Paul's going, the Lord, and he's talking about Christ there, uh, and he's saying, who is the Spirit? And so Paul's drawing this really close connection between Christ and the Spirit. And so what we see, so you see this in in Acts chapter 2, where you see uh, the Spirit being poured out on all people, and Peter says that what the Son has done is ascended to the Father and poured out His Spirit on all all people. Yes. Uh, And so this is where... Uh, if, if you're asking the question, who uh, is the spirit in us or is the son in us? And you go, well, they're the one God. God's in us. It, we we yes. are sharers of the divine beings. That's what 1 Peter, um, I, no, 2 Peter chapter 1 says. Um, it's one of those verses that you go, oh, that's... Um, uh, if anyone knows where that verse is, that'd be good. We, we share us in the divine nature. Oh, happy to, to get help from the crew. That's yeah, good. Two feet of one somewhere. <laughs> yes. Verse four. Oh, verse four. There we go. Two Peter one, verse four. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So um, uh, who is in us, the spirit or Jesus? Well, the spirit of Jesus is in us. We, are, uh, uh, we, that we have God who has bound himself to us. How has he done that? Well, he's done it through Jesus becoming flesh so that he can share his spirit with us so that um, what we end up with is a unity. We have a union with God. So that's what, uh, to jump somewhere else really quickly, that's what Jesus prays in John 17. He says, Father, this, the union that I had with you mm. before the crash of the world, let them have Enjoy that union that. with us. Yes. And he has. So Which is a profound offer. It's a profound thing. Isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a most beautiful gift. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I, so one of the best uh, little phrases of this that helped me understand this was the, uh, this. It goes, um, what is the sons by nature is ours by, by grace. Mm. Whatever belongs to the son by his nature, by the very nature of being the eternal son of God. Is his. Yeah, that he has that by nature, by right. That's mm. who he is. He gets all that stuff, all creation, all glory, access to the Father, that type of thing, all righteousness is ours by grace because the Son has taken on flesh and he shares his spirit with us and brings us into that relationship where we call on, our, on, uh, on God, our Father. Okay. 
So Dave, we are up to our last question. I know, it's, <laughs> it's sad for us all. <laughs> um, I would love for us to just drill down into the experience of just walking with our triune God in yeah. faith. Um, we've talked a lot about concepts, we've talked a lot about truth, but we started thinking ooh, we want to we always investigate the Trinity with the heart of worship. Mm. So what does it look like for us now as modern Christians having the church fathers behind us and knowing heresies around us? Yeah. What does it mean for us to walk in trust of our amazing triune God? Yeah, great question. And we've got like another half hour for me so to explore this. So much time. So much time. Well, I, I think we come back to the idea that the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the fabric of our faith. Mm. It's, it's, it's every aspect of how we live and act as, as Christians. And, uh, and so I think one of the outcomes of thinking about the Trinity is being able to step back and see that at work. Mm. So that, for example, as we pray, just reflecting the idea, wow, I've got access to the Father, the eternal Father of the Son, because His Spirit dwells in me, I get to call on Him. Um, and so what, what, what does that actually mean? Well, what happens in that moment where I don't feel like calling on God? And you might feel distant, for instance, yeah. as we were talking earlier. Yeah. And so that's the right thing to call on God for and mm. say, God, I, I'm not feeling like that at the moment, mm. but I still can. Mm. I, I think that's been one of the most, some of the most profound points of my Christian life is when I have, um, I've come to God despite how I feel. Because I remember what the Spirit does isn't emotional, mm. it's identity which sometimes expresses itself in emotions. In emotions. Yeah. Um, but it's that act of trust yes. that goes, okay, God, I'm going to lay it out on the table. I'm, I'm actually not feeling like this at the moment, but I, I know that you're good. I'm convinced that you're good and you want me to come to you. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to read your word. And, uh, and so uh, when I read the Bible one to one someone and we pray beforehand, uh, I think uh, I found myself one of the common things I pray is, uh, Heavenly Father, please let us hear your voice as we read your word today. Because mm. I'm, I'm getting to hear my dad speak to me. Yep. Now, we might be reading some obscure part of the Old Testament, <laughs> but I still get to hear my dad speak. And yes. so I'm asking his spirit to awaken my heart to, the, uh, to see the glory, his glory in his son as mm. I read his word. Mm. And so uh, I'm relying on God in that. And so even when it comes to uh, loving others and being with others and churching with others, uh, um, I suppose another one is obedience, that as we think about um, repentance and wanting to obey, I'm, um, the Spirit is working in me. When you feel that, um, oh, I wish we had another word in English other than, than feel, but when you feel that urge to do the right thing, it's that's, a prompting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you feel that prompt, that's God's spirit in you. Mm. The, the, don't um, don't ignore that. Mm. That we, we, um, in the same way, if you're tempted to do something evil, you can see that. Oh, I'm being tempted here to do something evil. Don't do that. Mm. When you're being tempted to do, tempting to do something good, mm. do it. That's the Holy Spirit working mm. in you. Because without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have that. Mm. And so, uh, see that God is at work. God. The Father, through the work of the Son to change you by His Spirit, is at work in all things. Yeah. And I think the fruit of all that is worship. Mm. We actually get to step back and at the beginning of the day, end of the day, throughout the day, call on God as Father, knowing yes. that we can, having the confidence of the Son has stepped into humanity, has taken on flesh, just like me, and He has shared His Spirit with me so that I can share his relationship with his dad. Mm. And we will never live alone and afar from God. Yeah. And not separate from him in any way because we are indwelt yes. by that same spirit. And, yeah. and it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and will never leave us. That's right. That's mm. right. Um, so uh, it moves uh, us into eternity, doesn't it? Like yeah. Moves us into eternity as we think of walking in faith now, mm. knowing this triune God, that we are so confident we will know our, our Father, Son, Spirit, God, yeah. um, in eternity as well, working yeah. in that way. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, just one other thought. Um, someone once asked me, 
uh, they said, I'm a very visual person. I, how can I imagine the Trinity? I need an image. Um, and the, at the moment, the, this is the best one I've got. Um, <laughs> he dares go yeah, there, yeah, an image. Yeah, uh, imagine um, being enveloped in a massive hug, such a huge hug that you can't see anything. Because I don't want people to imagine an image. I really don't like you, God's encouraged us not to have an image. Yeah. Um, imagine being enveloped in a hug, smothered in a hug by the Father through the Son in the Spirit, such that you can't see anything, but you're there. Imagine that. That that that's our relationship with God always. Mm, beautiful. Well, we're out of time. Thank you, Dave, Thank for you. sharing with us, teaching us. Um, I have loved this evening and I've really appreciated people interacting with me and Dave and asking your questions. It helped us make this evening so great. I would love to invite you to do two things. Firstly, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be digging deeper into James and I would love for you to join us for that. We're not sure when it's going to be happening. Sometime in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned. The best way you can stay tuned is to actually subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hunter Bible Church is churning out great content at the moment, really trying to make the best of this COVID season. We'd love to invite you to come to church. You can find all about that by subscribing and you can watch Songs from Sunday, Rush TV, and so much more. So please subscribe, join us. And thank you for coming tonight. We hope you've had a great evening. Mm.